You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to uh, yeah, welcome to church. Uh, it's great to worship with you guys. I um, yeah. Sometimes I get up here, my, my brain starts running, and it's like, that's not what I thought about saying, so I won't say those things. But um, first of all, we are in James chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 5. We're, we're closing out the book of James, um, and, and it's, been, it's been great. I hope you've enjoyed going through James as much as we've been enjoying uh, teaching through James, and, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. So as you're, as you're turning there, I want to say, first of all, if you haven't got one of these cards, and, and when I mean one of these cards, I mean a lot of these cards. If you haven't taken a lot of these cards um, and uh, taken them, invited people, this is for next week's Christmas special. So if you are like, oh, I need to get one of those, this is your last time, okay? This is, this is it. Salt, salt students, like, you, you guys are going to be able to maybe get them on Thursday, but for, for everybody else, this is it. So, uh, do you hear me saying that? Like, you guys staring at me blankly. Like, the, the, we printed out, like, 500 of these. There's still a stack out there. So, uh, don't, don't let me down. And, like, after church, when we're packing everything up, there's still a stack. Because you know what's going to happen to those? Trash can. That's bad. All right? That will make me sad. You don't want to do that, right? Okay, some of you do. I heard one person no, so you're gonna. That one person's gonna take a lot. Um, so make sure Christmas is just a great time to invite people, even people who don't have a church home. They're like, oh, it's Christmas. I should maybe go somewhere and do something. So that's that's next week. We're doing it early so that college students, you guys, can be a part of it. Um, and I'm excited about it. It should be fun. We're, we're uh, there's a lot of people helping us out. Toby and Josh and and Nick and just a, a lot of people that are that are working on this. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good time. You won't want to miss it. Um, James chapter 5, we are, uh, again, we're closing this out, and as, as you look at James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, James, he just, this, this book has been so much fun, and I think the reason it's been so much fun is because it's just super practical. You know, James has said things throughout this book that, that he says it in such a way that he kind of comes in hot, and, and you're trying to figure out, like, okay, that, that like, amen, ouch type of thing, you know, it's like that. That felt good, but it hurt, and so now I'm trying to figure out what do I do with this, and how do I respond, and how do I, how do I interact with that, and, and James ends his letter to these people who are dispersed, who have, who have lost, um, in some cases, probably everything, and he's writing this letter to them, talking about what does it look like to live among, among people that aren't their people in situations that wouldn't be the situations that they would have chosen. And he's, he's writing to them saying, this is how you live a grounded life in Christ and, and an active life, not just saying things, but actually doing things, allowing the faith and the, the identity that we have to, to spur you on to good works. And he closes his letter out by, by saying this. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. It, it seems as though, just stop there. It seems as though what he's saying is he's, he's ending this book. He's saying, look, there are situations and there are things in your life when, when you go through, there should be proper responses. Especially if you desire godliness, if you desire the things that God has for you, if you desire this life that James is talking about, he's saying, then if you, if you find yourself in these situations, is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone, is anyone sick? He's saying, look, there are responses to these things. 
And, and if you desire more godliness, then, then what he's saying is you, you need to respond with godliness. If you want more godliness, let me say it this way. If you want more godliness in your life, then James is saying, then respond to life with godliness. It, it reminds me of like when I was growing up, I uh, went to a super traditional church out in the country. Um, lots of old people and shag carpet and wooden pews. Um, it was a great experience. And uh, uh, one thing we did, though, and they did it really well, is we did, we did potlucks. And we did potlucks, like, it seemed like all the time. And uh, we've done a couple potlucks here at Anthem. But, I mean, we're, and, and not, to, not to downplay that. I won't, any, no more of that. But, uh, like, like, in my old church, it's like, you'd have people like Eva Jean bringing her, like, mystery casserole that's like, I don't know what's in this. But this is good. I mean, you'd have the other kind, too, where it's like, I don't know what's in that, and we're not going to, like, we're just going to not talk about that, you know. But, but this over here, this is good. And, and at times, you know, when you'd go to potlucks, people would be, um, you know, ambitious, and they'd be trading recipes. And, and, and I, I heard one, one person one time, they used this example, like, they, they took, like, Eva Jean's mystery casserole, and they, they, they're like, man, this is good. I, I need this recipe. And they went home. And they, they looked at the recipe, they're like, we're going to make this tonight. And they started looking at the recipe, and it's like, wow, maybe n- let's not put so much salt in it. You know, and, and maybe not use so much lard, and maybe not use so much, like, heavy whipping cream. Or, or you know, maybe, maybe, you know, and I don't really like mushrooms. Not, like, water chestnuts? Who likes water chestnuts? They're nothing. Like, they're cr- crispy water. And, like, <laughs> like, there's all these different things. It's like, let's just leave this stuff out. But you put it together, you mix it up, you put it in the oven, it comes out, and you take a bite thinking that you're going to bite into Eva Jean's mystery casserole. And you're eating something that's like, this is not what that was. Like, why, why isn't it this? And I think that what, what Paul is, or what James is saying here is he's saying there is a recipe for your life. If you're saying, look, I, I want godliness. I want godliness maybe in my marriage. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't know why my marriage is in this place. Or I don't know why my relationship, there's so much tension here. I don't know why, like, I don't know how I got to the place I got to with my kids. Or I don't know how I got to the place I got to with just just falling into temptation over and over and over again. It seems like I just can't give you. It seems as though what James is saying there is a recipe for life. If you desire godliness, he's saying then respond to life with godliness, with more godliness. And that's what, and so I don't know where you're at this morning, but as we close out this book, that's, that's, what, that's kind of the big idea of this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what, what you have cooking in the oven. But my question is, do you desire more godliness in your life? Then what James would say is whatever you're, you're dealing with in life, respond to it with godliness. Let's, let's dig in. Um, again, verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let's stop there. We're, we've, we've gone through James pretty slowly. We're going to go through it slowly this morning. He says, first of all, that, that word suffering, it's, it's a word that's, um, it can mean a lot of different things. It's, it's a word that, like, is anyone among you, like, did anyone among you get some bad news this week? Is anyone among you reeling from what they just experienced at the doctor? Is anyone among you dealing with things in, in your marriage or, or with your kids that you're just like, I don't know I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Or is anyone among you questioning and you're saying, look, look this is what I read in, in the Bible, but I don't, know, I don't know what to do with these different things that I'm dealing with, that I'm struggling with. It feels like a trial. It feels like I'm just suffering here. And he's saying, look, is anyone among you suffering? Then there's, some, there's, a, there's a response to that. And I, I think it's interesting that he says, let him pray. 
And, and the implication here isn't saying let him pray that he would be delivered from the trial or from the suffering or from the situation. What he's saying, what, what we see here is he's saying let him pray that he would be able to endure under it. And I say that because James is actually coming full circle as he ends his letter because we know in the very beginning of James, he says this in chapter 1, he says, he started the whole thing off with counting it all, counting it all joy when you experience trials of, of various kinds. So in the very beginning, isn't it interesting that at the beginning of the letter, he's, he's writing this letter to people who have experienced trials and are going through trials, and he's saying, count it as joy. And then he ends the letter by saying, is anybody going through trials and suffering? It's like, yeah, Paul, you know I am. You, you referenced it in the beginning. He's saying, well, we'll pray then. Go to God. Not, not saying, God, if you answer my prayer, it's going to mean this and this and this, because we do that too, don't we? We, we say, well, an answered prayer is going to mean a changed situation. And yet prayer really, at times, what it, what it does is it might not change our situation, but it changes us in the midst of our situation, doesn't it? Oswald Chambers says it this way in his little book, My Utmost for His Highest, and I think I have it on the screen. It says, God has established things so that prayer, on the basis of redemption, changes the way a person looks at things. Prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but one of working miracles in a person's inner nature. What he's saying there is, is James is saying, are you suffering? Are you going through situations? Are you trying to figure out, like, I don't know what I'm going to do here? saying, take it to God. Don't go to Facebook first. Don't go to your friends who are just going to be like, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. Let go and let God. Like, like don't, don't, go to, don't go to your friends who are going to give you a bunch of Christian cliches or, or your other friends who are like, yeah, you just need to bail. I wouldn't do, you know. Like, we can find groups of people that are going to tell us what we want to hear, right? But he's saying, look, no, go to God with those things because he is the only one that can change you in the midst of your situation. That you would endure he goes on to say, is anyone cheerful? Anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praises. I think it's so interesting that he's saying, look, okay, here's a, here's a situation. Okay, respond in this way. Are you suffering? Respond with prayer. Go to God. But here's another situation. Are you cheerful? Sing praises. Go to God. Don't you think it's, I think it's interesting that James has to tell people to sing praises about good things that are happening in their life. It seems like that should go without saying, right? But it doesn't because I don't know about you, but for me, lots of times in my life, I don't focus on the good things in my life because those are good. Like, you don't have to do anything. I focus on the things that are broken or it feels broken in my life because that's, that's what needs to be taken care of, right? Like, like, if I get a flat tire, I don't walk around the car and be like, oh, thank God I have three good tires, no, I get my jacket, I'm like, oh, you know, like, got to get to that flat tire, got to jack it up, you know, and, and it's, it's the same in other areas of my life, too, where, like, my kids, my poor kids, like, lots of times, I don't focus on the fact that they're getting, like, three A's, which, like, don't tell them, but that's better than I ever got <laughs> for grades. But I focus on the fact that it's like, oh, there's areas here we need to work on. And, you know, and it's like, that's, I, I think it's interesting that James is saying, no, are you cheerful? Is God doing some incredible things in your life? Then sing praises. It's this idea of, of letting people see what's happening internally, Let, letting this internal well-being, this mentality, that, that cheerful. It's not necessarily happy. I think some, some translations say it's happy. But happiness, to me, uh, has to do with your situation. This is more of an internal reality. 
It's the same word that, that Paul used in Acts chapter 27 when, when their ship, he was, he was on a boat, and the ship, God told him through an angel that, hey, Paul, your ship's going to sink. And it's like, well, that's bad news, right? But, but he tells everybody else, he's like, hey, guys, I got good news and bad news. Take cheer, right? Like, be, be cheerful. Have this, have this internal well-being. So that's the good news. You're not going to die. Bad news is you're going to have to swim, right? Like, it, it's this idea of like, hey, take cheer, we're going to sink. <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter what your, your situation is doing, but he's saying, like, we can have this internal well-being when we go to God and we can know deeper things that say deeper truths about who God is than, than what, our, what our situation would say. And he says, sing praises. If you have been saved by God in here, if you are a, or if you are a child of God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ... If you have prayed and said, God, forgive me of my sins, I, I turn from that, I turn to you. You have been made a new creation. You have things to praise, right? Amen? You have a testimony. You have, you have a story to tell. And, and oftentimes what we do is we focus on the bad things. Well, I'm just this, or I'm just that, or I'm, I'm really, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, I'm still, or I'm still this. And it's like, no, you're a child of God. Amen? You're a child of the king. And it, it reminds me of that old hymn that says, Count your many blessings, name them one by anybody. One, count your many blessings. So, yeah, there you go. You got it. Like, what's he saying? He's like, man, take stock. God is doing amazing things in your life. Yes, go to him when you're suffering. But sing praises when, when things are happening in your life. And, like, let it be known. Your response to cheer should be singing praises to God. And then he goes on in verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Call the elders. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That word sick, it literally means weak or weary or powerless. It might even, it might even be describing a person who's bedridden. And he says there, is, is anyone in that situation where maybe, maybe even internally you're like, oh, man, that's me this morning. Physically, I'm here, but mentally, spiritually, I, f I feel bedridden. I'm going through some stuff right now. I'm going through situations that, that I, don't, I don't know what to do with, and, and, and maybe it's more physical. The, the, the implication here is very physical, sickness, malady. And what he says is he says, let him call for the elders. I think it's interesting that he lays, he lays this challenge on the person who's sick, the person who's weak and weary and, and feeling like they're down and out. And he says, your responsibility as a sick person, are you in that position? He says, then pick up the phone and call the elders. Pick up the phone, let, let people know. See, the responsibility of the elders is not to go door to door trying to, trying to look for sick people. It's for the sick person to say, I am, I am weak and I am weary and I cannot do this anymore. And I think the, the reason that James puts the responsibility on the sick person instead of the elders is because there is something that happens to our faith and our life and our situations when we can take that step and when we can say, I need help. I need somebody. I can't do this on my own. I've been trying, and yet lots of times what we do, what I've done in the past, when I'm in that situation, what we do is we make up all kinds of excuses as to why we don't do this, right? Why we don't include elders, why we don't include others into our, into our weakness, into our feeling of powerlessness. 
And the excuses can vary. I don't know what they are for you. For me, at times, it's like, you know what? I don't want to bother anybody. Or it's like, I've I've gone through this so many times before. It's the same thing. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to put myself out there again. Or maybe it's like, I, I just, you know, I'll just power through. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go through it. And yet what he's saying is when you call the elders, your faith is enacted and it is a step that we need to take when we are in that place of powerlessness. And the, the, the reality there, the implication is, is that there is healing that comes through that. I mean, if you, if you look at what, what he says, when, when the elders show up, when these people, these men of God who have been set in positions of leadership, these, these men of faith, when they come, they come with oil, and it says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, now that, that oil, it really is just, in, in this, the word that James uses, it's just olive oil. It's the same oil that I made pancake, pancakes with yesterday morning. Right? It's in, in this context, olive oil was kind of seen, it's like a, like kind of like a cure-all. Like my, uh, my wife, she, she told me that her dad used to have this liniment stuff. I don't know, older generation, if you know what, what this is. It's like, oh, you got, you got a rash? Rub some liniment on it. Or, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a cure-all, you know. Like, you got a headache? Sniff some liniment. I don't know if that's what he really did with it. But it's like this cure-all thing. And it seems like that's what, that's what olive oil was used for during this time. But it's not the implications here that, that James is using. It's not, it's not for medicinal purposes. He's, he's saying, let the elders, the, the leaders of the church, bring this oil into the situation. Let them anoint the sick person with this. And, and what we see, what, what this actually is, this oil, what we see from the Old Testament, when someone is anointed with oil, it is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. That God's presence is with this person. That God is setting apart this person for his, for his purposes. That he hasn't left this person. And we, we read in the Old Testament when people would be anointed, it would be, it would be poured on their head and it would run down in their hair and it would run down onto their collar and in their beards and, 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 and it would be, it would be this, this physical representation that God has plans and purposes for this person, that the Holy Spirit is in this place. Uh, one commentary I was reading, I don't remember if I have it up on the screen, but one commentary I was reading said this, the elders bring and apply to the afflicted one the outward, tangible sign of God's covenant faithfulness in regard to human distress, and the pledge that in adversity as in happiness, God's plan does not miscarry. Isn't that good? That, that God's plan in times of cheer when we're singing praises to God, God's plan doesn't, doesn't go off the rails when we're in a place of powerlessness, and what the elders are doing, they're bringing that realization. I, I love the imagery here. Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, just yesterday when I was using olive oil, it's like I got it on my fingers. I hate when I get oil on my fingers because then it feels like it never comes off. You got, it's like glitter. You think it's off, and then the sun comes out, and it's like you realize it's not. And, you know, it's like with, with oil, it's like I wash my hands, and it's like, ah, I still feel it. Can you imagine? Like, and I'm not saying we're going to. Like, if you're powerlessness, you don't want to call the elders because you don't want to get oil all over you. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to dump you in oil. But there's, there's a beautiful imagery there when it's like when, when you're anointed with oil and you still feel that oil on you. And you're reminded in the midst of your sickness, in the midst of your weakness, that God has not left you. That God is still with you. That God has plans for you in the midst of your powerlessness. 
He goes on to say in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Guys, I have to be honest with you, as I've been struggling through this passage, this is a really difficult passage. And I think we can admit that. I feel like every time I've gone through this passage, like I can't get through it without, without tearing up, and I hate being emotional in front of people. <laughs> it's kind of a bad position to have and when you hate doing that. But like, I kept thinking as I was going through this passage, like how do I, how do I approach this? As a father of a of as a father of a daughter who's experienced so much sickness, how do I how do I approach this passage? Because I don't know about you, but for me, for us, for our family, we have had people come up to us with this with this passage and with others like it in tow, saying, "If you, we just need to have more faith." We just had more faith, then you wouldn't have to go through these things. If you just had, if you could just pray the right prayer, if we could just fast a little longer, maybe then God would hear you, but he's not hearing you, and so you must not have enough faith, and so therefore your daughter's still sick, therefore you're still going through situations and circumstances in your life, and it's hurtful. I don't know if you've been in that situation. And the question is, what do we do with passages like this when our reality doesn't appear as though this is what the truth is? When, when James says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and it's like, God, I'm still in this position. I'm still in this situation. I'm still powerless. I'm still weak. I'm still weary. What do I do? And yet I praise God that this isn't the only verse that we have in Scripture. Guys, when we, when we approach Scripture, we have, to, we have to understand that there's context. We have to understand that, that it's not standalone. I think it's great for us to take verses and internalize verses, singular verses, and, and stand on the promises that we see in Scripture. But when we start to look at those verses as though they're standalone and we forget that there's a context, we forget that there's people that, were, that they were written to, that there's, a, that there's situations that are happening within this that we may not fully understand, we can use Scripture as, as like beating sticks with people. It's like, oh, are you going through a difficult situation? Well, should have more faith like well thank you I appreciate that that's so encouraging to me you see what what I see in this is as I've been and I've been praying God don't let me preach heresy like I've been I've been praying all morning I've been praying all week but what I see in this scripture is that if we take it in the context of James larger letter I don't think it means what it might first of all mean what people have used this verse to mean I, I mean it, James starts his letter by saying in, in chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kinds. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Why do I have to remain steadfast under trial if James is just going to tell me at the end of the letter that you don't have to experience trials if you just call the elders? And if they bring their magical oil and if they pour it all over you, then boom, you can be healed. 
You just got to have faith. You just, why, why do we need to undergo trials if that's the case? I mean, he says, and I just preached just a few weeks ago in, in just James chapter 4, where it says, hey, you should say if God wills it, if the Lord wills it. And yet at times it seems like people who, who buy into the kind of the name it, claim it mentality of, of spirituality, it's not if the Lord wills it. It's saying, I will it. I want it now because that's what I deserve. That's what I need because I'm a Christian after all. So I shouldn't have to go through these things. I shouldn't have to watch my daughter go through sickness. I shouldn't have to get cancer. I shouldn't have to do all these things because because after all, that's what it says. If the Lord was, I believe that God has more for our lives than just our temporary healing, our temporary comfort. He has more for our lives than just that. I mean, you go through in, in chapter 5, verse 11, it talks about Job, and, and Stan preached on it last week. Job is an example of how we should suffer and how we should suffer well. Do you realize that Job never got an, uh, an answer for all the really bad things that happened to him? Never got an answer. But do you know what Job got? He got more of God. Job got to see a bigger picture of who God was, even though he never got an answer for why God did what he did. And I believe that is more of God's will for our lives than just for us to be temporarily. Like, our, our, God's purpose for us is not for us to live eternally here on earth. Praise God. Amen. Like, the older I get, the more things hurt. And I'm just like, praise God that someday I don't have to. Like, we were playing football at the turkey, whatever, turkey, what was it, what do we call it? Turkey Bowl. Like, and I was trying to guard Keaton. He was the quarterback. And, like, you know, I used to be pretty fast. And then I, you know, I go to, to try and rush Keaton, and it's like he kicks it into a higher gear. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm done. Like, like, that's what age does to you. And I praise God that God's will for us is not to live here eternally. But it's for more than that. God's will for us is to, is to pray prayers full of faith, and those prayers of faith are prayers that are fully submitted to the fact that God will meet out his, his sovereign will in, in the midst of our situations, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of what we're going through. And yes, I believe in healing. Yes, I believe the gifts of healing and the gifts of prophecy and those gifts, I believe that those are still active and they are still for the church. But I believe even more than that, even more than our physical healing, God desires to heal us spiritually. And it's the same thing that, like, we see it in, in the prayer of Jesus. I, I love when the night before Jesus is crucified, do you know what he's doing? He's in the garden. He's on his face before God. He's sweating as though it were drops of blood. He's so overwhelmed with what he's about to experience. And he prays the prayer, God, if it's your will, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, God, take, take this cup from me. Take the cross away from me. I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to go through this. I was reading a book just a few weeks ago called um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, which is an amazing book. And in this book, it talks about many Muslims believe that, that Jesus wasn't actually crucified because he prayed this prayer. And if a, if a righteous man praying a prayer full of faith, saying, God, don't, don't make me go to the cross, they said God answered that prayer. And, and somehow, like, he, he wasn't crucified. And yet, we know that that's not where the prayer ended. That's not where Jesus' prayer ended. Because his prayer was a prayer full of faith that said, but not my will, but what? Your will be done. See, that's the prayer of faith. 
That's a prayer full of faith that says, God, I pray for healing. I still pray for healing. I pray that my daughter would be healed. I pray that we wouldn't have to go back to the hospitals. I pray for all this stuff to be done. But I also know that God, there's, there's a possibility, can I say boldly, that I believe that God will be more glorified through us being steadfast in the midst of our trials than, than maybe he would through healing. There are people all across the country who have followed our story because of what we've gone through. I don't know if that would have happened if we didn't, if we didn't go through it. Paul has this mentality in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I have it up on the screen. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is, what's Paul saying there? We don't know what this thorn of flesh, we don't know what that was. Some people say epilepsy, some other people say it's all these other maladies. We don't know what it was. But we know that this thing that tormented him so, so strongly and so consistently, we, we know that Paul prays at least three times for that to be taken away. Now, can I ask you, is, would, you say, would you say that Paul is a man of faith? Okay, some of you got the right answer. Some of you still need to think about it. Uh, let, me, let me help you out. Yes, that's the right answer. Paul, sometimes in church, it's like, Jesus. No, this time it's yes. Like, that's the right answer. <laughs> yes, Paul is a man of faith. And was his thorn, was his tormentor, was that taken away from him? No, it wasn't because what he realized in this is that God's, God's power is shown more greatly through weakness. And so if you stand alone on this one verse that says, if I just call in my weakness, if I call the elders, and if I have them come and I do this, these different things, then that means I won't be sick. But if I am sick, if I go through these different things, well, that means God must not love me. That means... You know, I don't know. You can fill in the blank. I must not have enough faith. I must not be a good enough Christian. I must be whatever. That's not what we see here. God does love you, and he is present. Even in the midst of your weakness, he is present. And, and he goes on to say, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, there are times in our weaknesses there are times in those situations that we are weak because of sin in our lives. Not always. In, in, this, in this day and age, in this culture, it was believed that if, if a person was sick or if a person was weak, it was because they sinned or maybe their family sinned. And we see in Job, that wasn't the case with Job. He hadn't sinned. And, and when Jesus was walking the earth, his disciples saw a blind guy and they said, Hey, Jesus, who, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus was like, Nobody sinned. Come on, guy. I just think Jesus was just all, always exasperated with his disciples. It's like, ah, oh, come on. Because like, that's the way I'd be. But it's like the, this idea, nobody sinned. He, he was born blind so that God would be glorified, so that God would receive glory. But, but there are times in, in, we see in Scripture where we see that, that weakness and sickness is a result of sin. In, in 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul is writing to this church, and he says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. The reason he says this is because people in this church, people in this church, were treating the things of God with disrespect. 
They were treating the things of God as though they didn't matter. They were treating the things of God as though they knew better. He says, that's why you're weak. That's why you're sick. That's why some of you have even died. We see the same thing in, in Psalm 32 when David is talking about his big sin with Bathsheba. We all, most of us are aware of that, where, where David, the king, this man after God's own heart, I mean, can you imagine if your worst sin was put in the pages of Scripture? And it's like one more, oh, great, one more message about how I screwed up with Bathsheba. Come on, guys. Like, like, but, but in Psalm 32, he writes this song, and he's like, hey, church, sing this song about how I messed up. And he says this. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. And then he says, Selah, which is this, this term that says, just rest in that. Think about that for a second. What he's saying is that, and I don't know if you've been in this situation. I have been. Where it's like you have done something. You know, you know it's not right. You know it's not good. You know, you know that it's going to hurt people whenever this comes out. Whenever people find out about this. I don't know what's going to happen. I've really messed up here. And, and when, you, when you hide that, when you keep that in, David is saying, it's like my bones were wasting away within me. I groan, and, I, and it's like you can put on this happy face, and everything's fine, but inward you are dying because of the sin that you will not confess. You're holding on to it with both hands, and yet God is saying, well, you let that go because it's killing you. And there are situations in our lives that our weakness is a direct result of our spiritual corruption. And what we see here is the promise. I believe what the promise is that confessing our sins will sometimes lead us to physical healing, but I believe it will always lead us to spiritual freedom. Right? Amen? That's what we see I, I, in Romans 10.13. Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that you this morning? Like your bones, maybe it's been a sin that you've held on to for so long and you don't even know what it would look like to let it go. And yet what James is saying here is he's saying, if you find yourself in this situation, here should be the response. You want more godliness in your life? Then respond to life with godliness. He, He goes on to say, therefore, now every time we read scripture, right, when you find a therefore, I say it a lot, you gotta ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Right, so, so when you see the therefore, I believe what he's referring to, he's referring back to what we just talked about. Because God is real, because God is present, because there is forgiveness when we confess our sins, and because there is, there is spiritual and, and physical healing that can be had for God's people, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let's stop there. He's saying, therefore... He's, saying, he's going from this situation where a weak person who's, who's just weak, down and out, powerless, they're calling the elders, the, the spiritual leaders of the church to come together. And he's saying, all right, let's not stop there. Let's go, let's go, let's go broader. Let's go wider. You, you who are sitting here in these seats with sin, and, and maybe you're like, well, I mean, I don't feel powerless yet. I can see that's in the distance. It's like, well, don't, don't follow that then, right? Don't, don't go down that path. It's like, well, I'm not dead yet. I'll give it a little bit more time. No, there's, there's life and there's freedom that can be had now in the midst of it. When we confess, when we turn, there is, there is spiritual healing. I, I believe what, what James is saying there is we are to be in the habit of confession one to another so that we can be in the habit of healing. 
Amen? That's what my desire is that, that Anthem Church isn't a place where we're just all, like, we all come in here and we have it all together and we have it. And, and when I get emotional, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do here because we, we don't get emotional here. You know, like, we're, we, we have it all together. No, but, and, and I don't, like, uh, again, I want, whatever. But I, I want to be a place where we come together and it's like, yeah, I, I screwed up. And, and we can confess and we can find that there is healing and freedom from our sin, that we are not bound by the chains of sin and death any longer. Amen? And, and it seems like what he's saying is he's saying confess your sins. You have sins in your life. You have things you're holding on to. He says, confess it. And he, he says, look, if you, need, if you need more encouragement, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I don't, know if, I don't know if you're like me, but there have been times in my life where I've prayed over people and it seems as though nothing's happened. You been there? Nobody. All right. There's been, for me, there's been times where it's like nothing's happened and it seems like if, if you're looking at that, the prayer of a righteous person is like, well, maybe you're not righteous. No, I think what that means is for, for you, for those of you who have, who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for you who have said, God, I want to turn from my sin and I want to follow you, that means that he has given you new life. He has given you a new name. You are not defined by your sin or your sickness or your weakness any longer. You are defined by who God sees you as. Amen? You are defined by a, by a child of God. That's who you are. If you have taken those steps, that's who you are. You are righteous. And he says the prayers of a righteous person are, are powerful. They have great power as it is working. That word as it is working, it's, the, it's, it's like the, the Greek word. We get energy from it. It's, and the, the implication is it's internal energy. It reminds me of like when my kids, you know, they, they do the thing where you put the seed in the cup and you, you bring it and you put it on the windowsill and you water it. And it's like every day you come back to the cup and it's like, is there anything? Oh, no. Is, you know, next day, is there anything? No. Is there anything? And then you get to that point and maybe you've done this. I, I remember doing this as a kid. Maybe you get to the point where it's like, maybe I did it wrong. Right? Maybe there's nothing happening. Maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I didn't give enough water. Maybe I, maybe I need to be better. But then what James is saying is that there will come that day where, where you all of a sudden you see, you see a sprout and you realize all the time it's like, all right, amen, sing praises to God because things have been happening all the time. Right? And, and you just, it was just under the surface. You didn't see it. And he's saying, that's the prayers of a righteous person. And so when you go to pray, we can pray with the confidence that God hears the prayers of righteous people. Amen? And we, there is healing, spiritual freedom that comes from that. He goes on, if, if we need more encouragement, he says, look at Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was this guy in the Old Testament, this, this incredible prophet that saw amazing things happen. He prayed to God, and fire came down. Like, he, he, he had, like, superpowers. Some of the stories, it's like, how, I don't understand how that happened, but it did. Like, Elijah, do you know Elijah didn't even die? Like, it was almost like God was like, hey, Elijah, you know, get on up here, right? We don't have to go through death. Let's just... I'll send a car for you, Uber, and like, well, come on up. Like, I, I don't know. How do, how do you explain it? But it says, what it says here, what James is saying is, Elijah, that guy is just like you and me. It's like, ah, what? I don't know. I don't know. I, I believe everything else about the Bible, but I don't know if I can believe that. I can believe a guy rose from the dead, you know, yeah, but I don't think I'm on the same level as these people. 
When I see, when I see people in scripture, it's like, yeah, that's them. This is me, though. Even, I do that with people even that are alive today, like Francis Chan and Matt Chandler and all these, John Piper. It's like, that's them, but I'm me. How can I respond to God? How can I get more godliness? How can I do those things? And, and, and James is saying, you can because it's not about you, but it's because about the one we serve and the one we follow because the Lord will do it. He finishes this whole thing out, the conclusion, he says in 19 through 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Guys, what, what we see there, it's this imagery of a, of a shepherd going after his sheep. It's this response, like, like you see people around you and, and people are going after things. It's like it's, it's causing death in their lives. One commentary said it this way. It's by sharing with James the conviction that there is indeed an eternal death to which the way of sin leads, that we shall be motivated to deal with sin in our lives and in the lives of others. When we understand that as we see people, people wandering away from truth, that we don't respond by saying, you know what? Whatever. But instead, we, we go after people in love and we say, no, there, there is true death and life to be had. It's on the line. And it's not just after you die, but it's right now. It's right now. It's the same thing. C.T. Studd, this incredible missionary, lived way back in the day. Like, if you've, ever, if you've never heard of him, like, I just think the name Studd. It's like, you got to read stories about a guy named Studd. Like, Awesome. But this guy, he says this, like with this, with this mentality that James had, he says, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. It's like I want to position myself not so that I can be, be like inundated, like uh, just one more light in an already lit room. I want to go to the darkest place so that I can shine brightest for, for God. Right? That, that's my response. And this morning, as we, as we close out this book, and as we think through what James is talking about here, again, he's talking about this faith that is grounded in Christ, that, that finds its expression and action, and it's, it's, it's about being just deep people of faith, where it comes out. The, the question is this morning, do you want more godliness in your life? Then are you suffering? Go to God. Pray. Are you, are you cheerful? Sing praises. Is, is God doing stuff in your life? And then, like, let's go. Sometimes, like, I get in here in the morning, like, I don't want to be too harsh on you, but sometimes, like, I'm like, I got to stand in the back because I just can't. I got to, you know, I got to dance. Like, when we sing songs about being set free, it's like, woo, right? Like, it, you just got to get with it. And sometimes I'm like, maybe, maybe you don't understand what we're saying here. Like, we gotta be, we got to be people of cheer, but he goes on, are you sick? Are you powerless? Are you in those places where, where it's like you, you're tempted to say, maybe I just don't have enough faith. Maybe I just this, maybe, maybe that. Guys, Anthem Church this morning, Christian, hear me say that God is present in the midst of your trials. God is present in the midst of your friends wandering away. God is present in the midst of all of these different things. And our desire, if we desire more godliness in our life, then, then what James is saying is that respond to these things. Respond to life with godliness. Confess your sins. Draw near to God because he is drawn near to you. Amen?
Amen. I want to I pray for us. I just want to pray that over us as the worship band comes. We're going to respond in worship. God, I, I pray that we would be people. God, that we would be people who, who respond to life with more of you. God, I don't know the situations of the people in this place, God, but I do know that, that there are times in my life where I go through hard things and it feels so hard, God. It feels so hard to respond to you with godliness. It feels so hard to, to respond with godliness because there's so much brokenness. But God, I pray that, that if there are people in this place this morning who, who are suffering, who are, who are weak, who are weary, God, I pray that there, you would just pour out more of yourself. God, I, I praise you for your goodness. I praise you for your mercy. I praise you for the hope that we can have healing. And it's in your name. Amen. Guys, as, as the worship band plays, I want to just invite you. We, we're not, we don't have communion this morning. But guys, if there's any of you here who you're suffering, you are weak, you feel powerless, you have sin in your life that you've been holding on to so hard. My prayer is that, like, we have, I'm, I'm going to ask Todd, who's one of our elders, I'm going to ask some of the connection group leaders, stands in the back. I'm just going to ask some of our, if you're a connection group leader here, I want to I invite you, to maybe just stand in the back. I didn't, I didn't prep anybody for this. I just, this is what I just feel like God is asking us to do. As we, as we sing worship, I, w- I would just encourage you to stand up from, from where you're, from where you're sitting and make your way to, to one of those people. There's gonna be men and women back there. I wanna just invite you to pray. James says, confess your sins and you will be healed, you will be forgiven. So stand up right now and whatever that might mean, whatever that might mean for your life in this moment right now, what it means is you saying yes to Jesus. You saying yes to God. Would you take that step? So go, go ahead and just stand with us. We're going to sing together. And if you're, if you're that person that I just described, take a step. Step out. Make your way to the back. And let's pray together. Let's be in the habit of confession so we can be in the habit of being healed.